Greetings and welcome to the For the Ride podcast. I'm your host, Adam Vanderveen, and all the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of myself and the guest and not representative of Triumph Motorcycles. Okay, so today we are going to stick with some news and really cool news this week is Triumph has completed phase four of the Project Triumph TE1 project. So this is a a prototype electric motorcycle that has been in development for quite a while now. A lot of people may have been following around, but the completion of phase four basically means that we've built this prototype and have finally tested it on track and in the dyno and we've released the results of the testing. So really great results to include a 100-mile range. Now that range is a combined range. So in Europe, there's a, a standardized cycle of testing motorcycles for range, which combines highway and city. So a lot of numbers that you'll see on comparable bikes in the United States really only list the best number. And for electric, the best range number is actually city because the regen adds to the battery. So other highlights of that testing phase of the TE1 prototype are it achieved 175 horsepower peak power. And then the the really incredible thing here is the 20 minute charge time to 80% battery. So A lot of the development in this partnership focused on just evolving electric motorcycle technology. And it was a really great partnership with Williams Advanced Engineering, Integral Powertrain, Limited's E-Drive Division, and WMG, the University of Warwick, and all supported by Innovate UK. All right. And up next, we're going to talk about t-shirts. And today's shirt goes to Novak Scotia, who wrote in a a really thoughtful comment, titled was Great Motorcycle Culture Podcast. And the comment was, this podcast helps break down the stereotypes of what a motorcycle rider looks, sounds, and talks like. I didn't grow up around motorcycles and have only been riding for about five years. I did grow up with art, music, and sports. Later in life, when I decided to go back to school and learn something new, in parentheses, automotive technology, I was able to apply what I knew from my other backgrounds toward automotive. As I got into riding, I continued to relate motorcycles to my other interests of art and music. This podcast does just that. It shows that the motoculture is made up of people from all other social. And then I think it got cut off there. So, all right, thank you for that comment, Novak Scotia. If you want to get that t-shirt, just shoot me an email to fortheride.us at triumphmotorcycles.com. And if anybody else is interested in winning a free t-shirt from Triumph, just write a comment and please uh, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you think we deserve it. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love your, your comments, your questions, your feedback, just so we can keep making this a little bit better. And as always, we are promoting new ridership on the podcast. It's just a great opportunity to use these interviews to inspire people to ride, but then give them an opportunity to learn how to ride. So if you are inspired to ride or know anybody that you think would like to ride, send them to triumphrider.com, where we'll give them a promo code to register for the Motorcycle Safety Foundation's basic e-course here in the U.S. All right, and now on to today's guests. This one's going to be really different from everything I've done in the past because it's going to be 
two interviews back to back with the same guest. The first interview, the one that we are about to hear, was actually recorded a year and a half ago. We had just wrapped season one. I was ready to go on season two. Did a great interview with Brandon Posh and then happened to go quite a few months without doing any other interviews. So this one just sat in the can. But then right after the interview, he went on to win the Daytona 200 for his first time where he was the youngest rider to ever ride it on pavement. That's a little asterisk there. And then he did a full season racing on the Dynavolt Triumph racing team over for BSB Superbike Racing in the UK. So today's interview, it's pretty interesting because Brandon was much younger in his career and he had experienced a lot of success, but just not on the grandest of stages like a Daytona 200. And then next week, you'll hear an interview that I I just done with him yesterday. So really cool to get a chance to talk to him before he achieves some success and then get a chance to talk to him now after he's won back-to-back Daytona 200 championships. But for now, let's give a listen to that first interview from a year and a half ago. I got the key to the highway. I'm all packed down the road. Lord, let me ride out tomorrow, honey. I won't be back no more. Yeah, so that being said, uh, let's dive into you a little bit. So, uh, Brandon, first of all, uh, welcome to Atlanta and welcome to Team Triumph. Uh, you're, you know, new um, factory rider for what is a, a new race team that um, Triumph is involved with, which probably, uh, I think I'd say a lot of listeners and a lot of people even in the U.S. aren't fully aware of it, but why don't you uh, tell me a little bit about your your next chapter in life? Yeah, I uh, recently just signed with the PTR Racing team in the British Supersport Championship. It's the factory triumph team over there in, in England. Um, it's basically like an experiment, I guess, for all of us involved. Um, it's uh, The team's new to the Triumph motorcycle. Um the team is also new to the se- to the series that we're racing in. Um, they're coming back from the world championship, so it's like it's a proper team, very good team. But we're just coming to a new series with a new bike and and obviously new riders and me and Kyle Smith, my teammate. Um, so the goal for this year is just to try and get some good results. I already know the tracks because I won a championship over there a couple years ago. Um, so figure the bike out try and get some good results by the end of the year just steady uh working towards the end goal of winning races um and if we can put everything together hopefully advance to the world super sport championship and and stay with triumph um and yeah just keep keep building towards that goal of i want to race in the world championship one day and this is definitely a really good stepping stone for me so it almost sounds like it, I mean, if I compare this to team sports, it sounds like what you would say a, a restructuring year, so to yeah. speak. Yeah, this is definitely it's a restructuring year for the team. It's also kind of a regrouping year for me. Um, I was supposed to race in the British Championship again this past year, 2020, and um, COVID happened. I wasn't able to get back to England. I had a, a really great team lined up over there with uh, the RS Racing team on a Moto2, Calix Moto2. Um, They've won the championship two years in a row, so I, I thought, okay, I have a good good chance at winning two back-to-back championships over there. And uh, COVID wound up staying in America, raced Supersport here on a uh, a privateer Yamaha team. Um, that wound up kind of not working out so well. In the, the last round of the year, I hopped on a Kawasaki, actually, 
um, and then became the first rider in Moto America history to go back-to-back race weekends on two different manufacturers and podium in both weekends. So um, it's a pretty cool little stat from this past year, and then uh, hopefully get back over to BSB and start making some more history. <laughs> yeah, well, we hope so as well. And actually, so uh, you have the distinction of being the, the youngest interviewee we've had so far. Uh, you just told me you're you're 19 now. Yes, sir. 19 years of age, and uh, I, I've been trying to make history everywhere I go, I guess. <laughs> right on. Uh, well, and you're actually, uh, you're at a, a pretty cool stage in your career right now where, I mean, it's, a, let's say it's an exciting stage. You've had a lot of success, and you're really on the upswing and kind of working your way up the leagues, but um, let's take it back a little bit. How did you, what was your first time, you know, throwing a leg over a motorcycle? Uh, my first time throwing a leg over a bike was about two and a half years old um i had a little honda z50 like the 1989 the all white one with the with the big gas tank and stuff um and i learned how to ride on that with training wheels and from there i just like we slowly got rid of the training wheels by the time i was three wait so they make training wheels for motorcycles yeah yeah like, they, like, um, like you would see on a bicycle similar they like mounts under the engine like it mounts to the frame under the engine i mean i guess the honda 50s they don't have a frame but it's like uh where the foot pegs mount to the engine underneath. And, um, yeah, it's like training wheels, so you can only lean so far either direction. Okay. Um, and we also had, like, a dog leash with a with a <laughs> tether on the back, so, like, um, somebody could run behind me, and if I started going too fast, I'd just pull it, and it kills the bike. So it was, oh, like, attached gotcha. to a kill switch, so um, just so I didn't get hurt. And then uh, one of my first few days, I guess this kind of describes how my uh, my whole lifestyle and career is. I, I like to have fun. And within the first few days, I had that Z50 wheelied into the fence in the backyard. So that was pretty cool. I, I still have that photo somewhere. <laughs> That's perfect. So then did, was there somebody in your life that was passionate about riding? Yeah. Um, my uncle actually used to race in the, um, the AMA. They used to have like a SB650 class um back in like the early earlier 2000s mid 2000s um 2010s and uh he used to race in that and then also my godfather um he basically kind of helped with this track day organization and ran the race school and stuff so he kind of taught me pretty much everything about getting onto the track for the first time um i grew up racing motocross when i was really young and i switched over to the mini gp like the the little bikes on the go-kart tracks when i was about eight years old so um, once I did that, I kind of progressed there for a couple years on the mini tracks, learned, like started on a 50 and went to an NSR 50, which is like a little bit bigger of a 50 CC. Um, that's a, actually a street chassis. And then, uh, went to the 65s and then the one fifties. And then I wound up getting on an RS 125 on the big track. Um, by the time I was like 11 or 12. Wow. Yeah, okay. That, that's early. really young. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and, and young it, for an American. Okay. It seems like, though, um, and you just talked us through it a little bit, uh, at a pretty young age, not only is everybody starting young, but do you almost have to make your decision between uh, dirt and track at a pretty young age? Um, yeah, yes and no. I think there's a lot of young riders that are really good at one form of riding. Like, you can grow up and be really good at motocross and then switch to road race when you're 18 and, and be really good at it off the off the go. But... I don't think you have to like start very young because I've seen some riders that are really good at that started a, at a little bit older of an age, but it definitely does help because, uh, in, in my opinion, the more seat time you can get on a bike, the, the better you're going to be. Um, I think that's the same with any sport really. Like 
the more you play baseball, the better you're going to be. Um, so you just learn the game more being around it at a young age. And, and you kind of like, it seems like you progress quicker, especially as you get older, being surrounded by it at a young age, you, uh, you kind of pick up things that, that you normally wouldn't, or that like, it would take you longer to figure out at an older age. So, um, it's definitely better to start young. Yeah. Well, and you, I mean, you, you see it in every sport that just like specialization, you know, starts yep. younger and younger. And it, it used to be, everybody was a all around athlete until they hit like, you know, the 18 and went off to college and then you kind of pick yep. your sport. But yeah, I think in, in motorsports, I think it's actually better to be an all arounder at a young age than to be specific, like road race or motocross. Um, I think at a young age, like five, six, seven, eight years old, you should be uh, road racing, like on the on the mini tracks, on the go-kart tracks, riding motocross, riding flat track. I, I think the more uh, diverse you are as far as your riding skills go at a young age, the more bike control and stuff you're going to have when you get older. And it'll be less that you have to learn. Like as a pro rider, all my friends go and ride motocross and I'm like, okay, I got to I don't ride it that much anymore just because it's a big risk for me and, and road racing. Like I have a lot of people that depend on me to show up to the races healthy and, and ready to win. So, um, that's a big risk for me and I can't take that risk all the time because it's very easy to get hurt. So, um, I'll go ride motocross with my friends who are like flat track riders or, or they race motocross and I'm, I'm way off because like, I I don't ever do it, but, um, yeah, it's, it's like when you're a kid and you do that stuff and you do everything, when you get older to like my age, you already know like how the bike's going to react on this surface condition. And, and I think it just gives you more tools in your toolbox to, to be more prepared for any situation. Sure. Well, and so I'm guessing actually a lot of people um, listening might not be as- aspiring racers themselves, but probably passionate riders with kids that right. might want their kids, right. uh, even if the, the aspiration is not to get them to, to your level or even to compete, but just competent riders um, give them the skill set yeah um so so you started on um you know uh, on a proper little motorcycle with with training wheels i I just showed you the video of my little guy uh biffing it on a stasic yep yep yeah i wish we had those when i was kids um those those stasics and striders are a great way to get a, a very young child into uh into two wheels um it seems to me like that's that's gonna be uh the trend from from here on out is these kids starting on striders with with like learning balance and then you move up to a small bicycle and then the electric bike and and then you get on a 50 and you're already you already skipped the whole like learning the balance process on the on the 50 because you already learned it on the stasic so it's just progression and and i think that that's something that the our sport needed um and i say our sport is in all of motorsport in general um i think that was a missing link kind of in the past where like there wasn't anything for a really small child of like one and a half, two years old to, to really learn those skills without being on a 50 or like a, like a bigger bike that they can't really handle. So I, th- I think it's really cool and uh, I'm sure it'll keep progressing in, oh, the, in I the future. Yeah. yeah. I can't wait to see what these kids have in like five, 10 years from now. Um, I mean, just, just from the five, 10 years from when I was a, a really small kid coming up, we didn't have anything similar to that. So, um, I'm just excited to see how the sport keeps progressing. Well, so funny enough, I mean, that at your age, once you get to your peak, you're probably going to have some of those kids like nipping at your heels. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, 
not like, yeah like it, i think you might in your career go head to head against some kids that are just coming up right yeah, now it, it's kind of crazy and it's already for me um i don't have anything like that yet uh specifically like that but i do have there's there's some young kids that i'm like i'm watching them like you you're really good you're a really good rider like in a couple of years we'll be racing together and it's going to be like man I'm, i remember when i was 19 and they were like 13 14 and, and now they're battling with me to to win races it's kind of like oh man i need to uh step my game up a little bit here so at what well, so actually um when you were a kid coming up um was there anybody you aspired to um yeah i, I watched a lot of riders when i was younger um gary nixon was a cool one for me obviously i'm a triumph athlete um won a lot of races a lot of special events daytona 200 a lot of stuff in england um just a, a really cool rider to watch in general um flat track all around all around really great rider um and then i looked up to a, a lot pj jacobson when i was younger I i'm not sure if you uh have heard of him he is an american rider who um a couple years ago was battling for a world super sport championship on a honda against keenan Safoglu. uh he wound up finishing second in the points and and just just watching somebody and from my era go to the world championship and almost win a world championship and become the first american to win a world super sport race and all these stats it's it's a uh, it was really cool to watch when I was growing up and I, I always was like one day I want to go race in Europe and and try and do the same thing he's doing but I want to win the championship um and then a lot uh a lot of respect for Alicia Spargo as well he puts in a lot of work uh definitely he's always top physical condition which is uh really hard to do I mean when you're traveling that much and you're uh all over the place it's hard to keep focused like that and, and keep your diet under control and your training and He's just really good at it. So watching him from the outside, it's really cool to see. And um, yeah, it's just uh, I have appreciation for that amount of hard work because I, I know what it takes. So totally. Well, interesting. You you mentioned the conditioning aspect of it, and I'd say that you know it starting young is a trend. Uh, but the other trend we're seeing in all of sports is just the the attention to uh, diet and exercise and physical yep. fitness and your well being and you know in older. Uh, generations didn't take all of that serious they you know they were great right. at what they did but uh, yeah. couldn't rely on their body it's um it's definitely uh, it's I, I like both sides of it i i appreciate the old days where you could just show up and hey i'm i'm here we're, we're gonna go uh we got practice on friday go out have a good time friday night saturday night sunday we go racing and and just put our best effort in and now it's like man you you don't ever really go out as a pro athlete like it's you wake up in the morning get your training done you watch what you eat you like you take everything like as if you're a, a professional runner or a professional cyclist it's it's quite uh interesting and like we're basically professional athletes in multiple different sports because you have to be now like if if your physical condition is a little bit off you're that's the difference between winning and losing and and no it's huge i mean look the uh perfect example and and this broke my heart last night uh tom brady beat my packers <laughs> and but i mean that guy is the, is the example of you know how your body can carry you right. late into uh into a career if you take care of it yep. and, he's on it if you take care of your body and and you treat yourself right and and you make sure that you're in good condition you, your body will last and you'll be able to do what you want to do for a long time so so i have to ask so how hard is that 
at your current age when, you know, all of your peers are, are out having a good time? Yeah, it's really difficult for me. Um, I watch a lot of my friends that I went to school with. They're all in college now, going out all the time, having fun. And part of you feels like, man, maybe I'm missing out on something. But another part is also like, hey, if I stay focused and I, I keep doing what I'm doing, I'll I'll be able to do whatever I want when I'm older, you know? Like Right, later in life, you, you'll now, learn. Right. Yeah, one of my friends, um, I'm not going to put it as eloquently as he did, but something along the lines of like everything I'm missing out on now are like if, if I achieve what I want to achieve, the parties will just be that much better. Yeah, yeah, that. And I mean, I'm, I'm not really big on partying, to be yeah. honest. Like I, I'd rather sit at home and like play Xbox or something. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm missing out sometimes, but then I'm like, uh, I'm getting so no, much more not. experience. Yeah. Like uh, the amount of places that I've been in the past three years, just, just traveling alone from racing is like, some people won't see that stuff in, in a whole lifetime, which is kind of surreal to me because it, it almost feels normal to me. Like I'm all over the place that much that like, sometimes I do take for granted, like I'm in Atlanta right now and, and I'm from New Jersey. So like, it's it's cool like a lot of kids my age don't don't get to travel as much as i do and experience the things that i experience so um i i have to keep that in perspective sometimes <laughs> which is hard especially when like that's the lifestyle that i was kind of brought up in so i don't really know well, any but, different yeah that that might help a little bit so when um since you started very young was it always serious from a young age um no i i actually wasn't very good up until like uh, i turned like 13 14 and then we were like, okay, I'm, I'm doing pretty good now. Let's, let's start to challenge ourselves. And um, it was kind of like, I, I always watched racing as a kid, right? Like, I, I just like watching racing. It's, it's something that it intrigues me and, and learning the race craft and learning like, okay, you can make this pass in this kind of a corner and, and just learning like how everything works and, and why it works and stuff. And I, that really intrigued me from a young, young age. And I always knew that I wanted to race professionally. But I didn't know if it would be possible because you watch these people on TV as a little kid. You're like, man, that's crazy. There's no way I can do that. Or for me, it was like, man, that's crazy. I want to try it. Right. <laughs> so I like I just did everything that I could from a young age to try and position myself as good as I can for my future. And um, and that that's as far as like learning what the pros do, like how do they train? What do they do when they're riding? What are they focused on? Like just talking to people and. I used to go to track days all the time, even before I could ride at the track days, um, because my godfather and my uncle used to, to do track days and stuff. So I would tag along with them and just start talking to people at the track. And um, before you know it, I, I wound up meeting uh, Jeff Wheel from Arai, who became my first helmet sponsor. I've been with them for 10 years now, since I was nine years old. So um, they've, they've been a big help to me. And, and it's just crazy, like the people that you'll meet along the way, like going to all these tracks and all these different events and stuff. You, you never know who you can meet. And, um, I wound up, went to a AMA national, like the, the, before Moto America, it was AMA, um, the pro road race at NJMP, the New Jersey track. And I wound up meeting my now like good friend, manager, Polly. Um, he helps manage me, helps train me, coach me. Um, he was a pro rider when, when I showed up to the, to this race and I was like, I just started talking to him randomly. Cause I was like, just trying to talk to everybody I could and, and learn as much as I can while I'm there. I mean, it's, uh, as a young kid, that's a good opportunity to like, just pick up on some little things that otherwise you wouldn't normally see at a track. Um, 
So I started talking to him and there was like a mini GP event, like a four hour endurance race the next day on like little XR 100s and stuff. And, um, I asked him if he would be my teammate and I asked a bunch of people, I asked like maybe 10 riders and he was the only one that actually showed up the next day to the race. So, um, we were basically like partners since then. Like we've been traveling around the world together since I was a little kid, 14, 15 years old. And, um, he's always been just looking out for me and making sure that I, I'm taken care of as far as racing goes and, and just trying to help me out as much as he can. So well, that's cool. And sounds like just a very critical person to have to, to get where you've got. And then, um, so that's amazing. So it, even at, so you started to take it serious around 13 and then yep. pretty quick were traveling around the world and, and, uh, racing in, in some serious competition. What, um, what was, you know, the, the progression then from that age to, to where you're at now right so when i was about 12 years old i just just got onto the big tracks um and i was just learning how the big bikes worked and stuff like that and 13 years old i started doing like the local club races and i was i was winning everything like in in our age group i was winning all, all the classes every weekend so I, we were like man there's not really any competition here what what can we do i want i want to try and get a challenge and learn from from people that are better than me so we set out to find like the next challenge, and uh, I think 14 years old, I did my first race in Europe at TT Circuit Assen in Holland um, in this class called the Milwaukee Junior Cup, and it was uh, everybody's on the same bikes. Saw this one standard uh, Milwaukee Moto Three bike, um, and I finished 13th, and that was the biggest like, wow, I'm not as good as I thought. Okay, <laughs> that was the biggest <laughs> moment for me of like, man, I I need to get back to work because I came from winning everything at home in, in America, traveling up and down the East Coast, racing all over the place, just winning, not really having any challenges to, I showed up to my first race over there and I got beat really bad. And well, that's like, why you went there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I went there to see like, am, am I, am I really that good? Or is there not a whole lot of competition here yet? Or like, just to really kind of feel out how the, how the industry is, at least in Europe. And, um, we came back home, me, Polly, my trainer, we were like, all right, we we need to make some adjustments and and we should go back at this as soon as we can and see see where we're at. So we spent that whole off season training all winter. I was like 15 years old, 14 years old, just like uh, going to the gym with my trainer and like riding every day. And it was just kind of crazy because at 14 I should be in like high school or middle school or something. And I I was going to school at the time, um, and also traveling that much and riding all the time and. I was still in school, like participating in school sports, like wrestling and stuff like that. And so between missing all those practices and riding all the time, we just were like, okay, forget school sports. We're going racing. And, uh, by the time I turned freshman, I kind of dropped out of school and just went full time to Europe <laughs> within oh, a year. Oh, no way. Okay. Yeah. So I like, uh, in 2015, I was 14 years old. That was like my last year of school. I did three events in Europe that year put it on the podium in all three races. Um, my first ever podiums in Europe was from that year. Um, and, and those races were combined with the British Superbike Championship. So I've been over there kind of learning the tracks for a long time now. And um, we did those three rounds. I got a second and two thirds. And then we also did two races here in America in the, the professional championship. That year they came out with this new class called the KTM 390 Cup. And that was like everybody was on a standard KTM 390. And it was just close racing and I did two rounds of that because I was just old enough to do it and I finished I think 
second in my first one and third in my second one. So that year I did five pro races and I got five pro podiums. I was, I was super excited with that at, at 15 years old. And, um, we planned on going full time to the British championship when I turned 16, but as a young rider, I mean, it's, it's hard to get the funding to go race in Europe, especially being from America. It's, it's not an easy like deal to put together. So we spent all, all winter working on putting together a program over there and we weren't able to come up with the funding. So like a couple of weeks before the season started, I didn't even have a ride. I didn't even know if I was racing. And this team called Access Racing wound up approaching me about racing here in America on a, a KTM Cup bike again. And I said yes, a week before the season started. Did two days testing at a, a track in North Carolina and then went straight to the first race and uh, got a second and a first my first weekend and then wound up winning the championship at the end of the year. I won, I think, eight, eight races out of the like 12 or 15 that we had. So won a good majority of the races and won the championship. Went over to the, they put on a world finals event. So like the top three in points from every nation went to one event. And this was again in, in Holland at the TT Circuit Assen. And I wound up finishing third in the world. So for a 16-year-old, first ever really like world race, big event wound up finishing third and, and that was a really good uh good weekend for me as far as exposure goes because all the British superbike teams were there so they were all paying attention to the kids class and I wound up uh getting a ride again in America but still talking to teams in Europe just keeping keeping my name relevant in Europe just trying to uh if there's ever an opportunity so I could go back um but I got a ride here in America in 2017 with the M4 Suzuki team in Supersport and uh my first race i finished fourth or something like that i jumped up from the the little kids class to like to the open 600 class and and my first race i was almost on the podium so um that was a, a really good start for me and i thought okay we're gonna have a good good run at this we'll take one year learn second year fight for the title um and we made it three rounds in and and there was some some behind the scenes stuff went down with with the team and we wound up separating which at the end of the day, I mean, it was uh, we're we're all good now. We have we have no problems with each other. I was actually trying to ride for them again this year, um, up until my opportunity came up in in the British Championship. Um, but yeah, I I did three rounds with them in 2017, and and then that fell through. So we were looking, and uh, we found a spot in in the British Championship again in the Stock 600 class, and uh, I went over there and got my my ass whooped again. Um, finished in, outside the points in like 20th, my first race. And I was like, here we go again, deep breath. Let's go back to the drawing board and figure it out. And, uh, went home, trained, trained a lot, worked on some stuff that we noticed that I was slacking in, um, some corner entry stuff and, and some, just like the way that I was exiting the corners, just try and change my riding a little bit. So when I go back, we, we have a better starting point. Um, went back and I was instantly inside the top 15. And, and fighting for the top 10. So um, that was a good jump for me within a couple of weeks. So uh, I did that. And then there was a one weekend where the British Championship went back to Holland for uh, their yearly Assen race. And um, the Stock 600 class didn't go. And I wanted to race there because I really I enjoy the track. And, and the whole atmosphere over there in Holland is really cool. So we found a, uh, a Moto3 team that had a bike. And they were racing that weekend. And I was like, hey what do you think? Can I come ride? Can I come try it? And went out, tried it. I think I finished like fifth, my first ever Moto3 race. And then the next weekend, an opportunity came up for me to race in the junior world championship, which is like, 
insane. I, I got the opportunity and I was like, yeah, sign me up. How do, how, all right, let's go. And I went from Holland straight to uh, Aragon in, in Spain for uh, my first ever junior world championship race. Qualified like 39th. My bike blew up in qualifying. So I did like two laps, qualified 39th out of like 42 which was not my best work, <laughs> but, um, made the race. I was the first American to ever qualify for a junior world championship event. Um, made the race and I came from 39th up to like 20 something, 21st, um, almost into the teens, I think. Um, so that was a good event for me on, on a inferior bike. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed <laughs> that. And then the next year I wound up getting a, a ride full time in the British championship on the team that I did, uh, my first moto three race with. And, uh, I crashed with three rounds, three races left of the season, shattered my wrist, so I missed the the last three rounds, and I finished fifth in the points that year. So, for for missing all those races and still finishing top five, we were like, okay, we can we can win this thing next year. Let's let's give it one more go. And um, I got an opportunity with the FPW Fireplace Warehouse KTM team, and they were really great to me. We went testing for like two weeks in Spain before the season, and had a really good feeling with the bike. And I was like, okay, I know the tracks, I know the I know everything now. I know the bike. The team's good. We all work well together. Let's go win this thing. And I wound up winning the first three out of four races of the season and the last three out of four races of the season and uh, became the first American to ever win a British title. And then uh, did my first MotoGP race that year as well, 2019, at uh, Silverstone. So I did the British GP, first American to ever race in the Moto3 World Championship. That was a, an amazing experience. Qualified uh, second to last and finished like 29th. But Man, that's uh, it's tough when you show up in in a sprinter van and everybody else is in their factory. factory oh yeah, rig, so. huge difference. Well, and uh, interesting that um, you know how stark all of your experiences are uh, domestically versus abroad. And uh, I mean, it just sounds like everything is on a different level in Europe. Do they? How do you feel you're treated like as an American? Do you? Uh, does everybody just automatically look at you as an underdog? Uh, Yes and no. When I first went over, everybody was kind of hostile a bit towards me. There was, nobody really talked to me. Everybody kind of like pushed me away. Like nobody, nobody wanted to hang out. Nobody wanted to like talk even really. So I was kind of just there by myself. And then I started getting some results and everybody was like, wait a second, like maybe, th maybe this kid's got something. So, uh, slowly people just started talking to me and, and would hang out and we'd go, I'd go ride with these people and stuff over in England. And, uh, more and more, everybody became more friendly. The more results I started to get, the more I started to win. Um, the outside people got more friendly, and the competitors got even like didn't like me even a more. More fierce, yeah, yeah, because they were like, "Wow, this kid's he's doing well now." That's they they didn't really like the other riders didn't really like it too much, but um, the people there, like the the English people, they they were loving it. I was kind of I think like entertainment because there's not really I was the only American over there, and they're. They just like the culture of America, so right. they were they were kind of intrigued by me being there. And you you like, brought a little personality yeah, to the circuit, I brought yeah. a little flavor. <laughs> I mean, every everybody over there, like they they take it seriously and stuff. But I I like can take it serious, and I'm still always having a good time, still smiling, and I could be getting taken out of the race, and I'm still smiling in the pits when when we're all said and done. So um, I think everybody was just kind of like that that I, I was just always having a good time, always smiling and, and just enjoying myself. And, uh, sometimes you, you can't take it too seriously. So, um, so, so what, what would you say is the biggest 
uh, difference in in why that the level of competition seems so much stiffer than over there? Is it like just volume of riders, or they're starting younger? What, what are they doing different in Europe? Um, in the British Championship, I think it's um the it's more the quantity. Like they have a lot more young riders. So the, the the pool is simply bigger. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they just have a bigger pool to draw from, and and um. I wouldn't say that they're more or less talented than our young riders. It's just there seems to be a little bit more opportunity over there for younger riders, and and there's more interest in going racing from from kids. So um, I think it's more just like well, I'd say. I mean, culturally, uh, racing is is really prevalent in Europe, not just motorcycle yep. racing, uh, auto racing, racing as well. well. It's it yeah, is a, a cultural phenomenon that you just don't see as much here. So. Sure, I, I imagine if you're a kid growing up in Europe and and you see, you know, you, you're watching racing on TV and, instead of football, maybe in your home. Yep. And yeah, these kids are um, surrounded by motorsport from a young age, and and that's just what they see on TV. And they, as any any kid does, you just want to do what you see on TV. You think it's cool because it's on TV. So um, they they see motorsports on TV and they're instantly attracted to it. And over there, they kind of have the infrastructure where they can. Up, not necessarily afford to do it because it's still expensive and there's still financial problems over there as well. Like people can't afford to do it, but there's more um, means to do it. Like there's more, there's more bikes for kids. There's more gear for kids. There's more just promotion as well in general. Like kids are kind of pushed more towards that than they are to sit at home and play video games. Where here it's in America, it's kind of like, uh, Xbox is cool. <laughs> like, there's a, it's just a, a kind of a cultural difference, and I think that's all like, like part of um, I don't know. In in England, it's like they're a little bit more old fashioned, and here in America, we're a bit more like chasing technology all the time. Where there, they're they're kind of living like a more old school kind of lifestyle, where they still have nice, beautiful farms and right. Um, green fields and everybody's like i don't know they they just it's more of a simple lifestyle there where here everybody's like let's outdo each other let's chase yeah, yeah. and then there I, I would just say there's balance yeah yeah it's very uh it's well balanced over there and and there's like a i don't know they they don't really let go of the history like they they like to keep their um i don't know what the word is but they they like to keep their traditions i guess um which is cool they they have like the same couple of races every year. That's like a special event, and like Cadwell Park, they have King of the Mountain. I think it's called King of the Mountain. It's where like, if if you do good at that specific event, you get like you win the overall weekend, and it's like a big deal because they have it. There's a jump on the track, okay. so um, that's like a one-off track. Like no other race in the world has a jump in it for road racing. So, um, it's kind of like a special event, and they have a lot of events like that that are just like. A one-off, like right. That there's the uh, Isle of Man. The Isle of Man, unfortunately, yeah. canceled this year. But I'm I'm dying to go see that sometime. Yeah, it's um I've never been, but a lot of people that I know that race over there that I've like I've hung out with and stuff. They they race the event actually, and it's like scary for me to just watch it because like one little mistake and you're dead. So <laughs> it's gnarly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, would you do it? Um, I mean. <laughs> It depends on a few things. Like, I'm definitely interested, and I would want to do, like, the Northwest 200 or something first, like a smaller road race that's not uh, not the Isle of Man, just because it's, like, such a legendary race, and it's got, like, kind of a uh, a fear factor to it where, like, you think of that race, and you're like, man, that's scary. But I would do, like, another road race first to kind of come to grips with, like, how the bikes work on the, on the actual streets. Like, you got 
there's like cracks in the asphalt and curbs and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, so I was going to ask you. You're going to have to talk me through this a little bit because I've. Um... Uh, I have to admit, I, I have not been on a track yet. So it, oh, it is on my, my list of priorities, especially with the, the motorcycle that we're launching uh, tomorrow, actually. Um, it, so by the time this podcast comes out, it will be launched. It, it's our new Speed Triple 1200 RS. I know I'm going to have to take some track time on that. Oh, so, uh, so I'm looking forward to um, you know my first... Well, it'll be interesting enough. I'll, that that might be my learner bike. <laughs> yeah, the um, the track stuff is it's very not very safe, but it's way, way, way more safe than the street. It's just the uh, the consistency of it. Yeah, like, the the consistency. So like, you know what the track's gonna be like. Every every lap is gonna be the same, pretty much, give or take. Like, okay, yeah, somebody can a slider can fall off their suit, or something can be in the track from from another rider. Yeah, but there's no, um, nothing changes. Like when you're riding on the street, you have one corner, it's like a nice 90 degree corner. And, and then the next one's a long sweeping corner and you don't know what the next corner after that's going to be. There could be a pothole in the track, in the, in the road. There could be, uh, I don't know, a dead animal in the middle of the street. Like there's so much, so much, uh, stuff that can go wrong on the street that's out of your control. Whereas on the track, it's more, um, one, the track the organizers are, are more organized, uh-huh. um, and and the track's the same. The bikes are generally the same, and everybody's like trying to do a similar thing. Like everybody's trying to chase a lap time, kind of. So like everybody's focused on the same stuff. There's no cars. There's no uh, street signs. No telephone poles. There's nothing where you can really like get crazy hurt without like a big crash. So um, you can kind of crash in a controlled environment and still be generally okay whereas when you crash on the street you don't know what you're hitting you could get hit by an oncoming car you could hit a wall you could hit a building whatever it is you can hit the hit the trees anything and that that stuff doesn't move right let's say the stakes are a little higher yeah it's uh it's a lot more risky um well and it's uh it's very impressive to me i've been watching some racing this year and um just how riders actually can completely wipe out run run down their bike hop right back on it and just go yep yeah that's that's how it is on the racetrack um and the british championship we're not actually allowed to rejoin the race if you crash because somebody in in the series crashed and their bike um dug a hole through the case so when they picked the bike up and kept going they leaked oil all over the track and then caused a big mess bunch of crashes and stuff so in the British Championship, it's not actually allowed to to pick your bike up, but MotoGP, World Superbike, and in the in the American Championship, if you crash, you can and you're okay, you can pick your bike up and keep going. Which I don't know if that's. Sometimes I feel like that's a good thing because, like, when I crash, sometimes and you don't get hurt, you're like, yeah, I can get back in the race. But um, there's other times where it's definitely a bad thing because you can crash and, like that guy did in, in the British Championship, you don't know if your bike's leaking. You could have hit your head and you you think you're fine, but you have the ad- adrenaline. Yeah, you, yeah, and, yeah. You, you don't. You never know. I mean, something could be wrong with you, and you don't even know because you're so um, in in shock, I guess, from crashing or just the adrenaline um, kind of masks over the pain, so you don't know that you're even injured until after, which is kind of crazy. But um, yeah. Yeah, there's trade-offs. So yeah, there's uh, if the rules prevent you from doing it, I mean, they're really protecting uh, the rider that crashed as well as other riders on right. the track. If there's the issue with the bike, but then there's the you know on the opposite side of that, there's just the 
you know, the, the heroics of yep. being like, able to rejoin the race. If, and, especially if you're fighting for a points championship and every point counts at the end of the year and you can you can fall off in the rain. Sure, it's not nothing, just win or lose that race. It's, right, it's, it's the overall rank. points, yep. yeah. So, I mean, you could fall off in the rain, just, just slip off the bike and, and nothing could be wrong. And some riders are, are that much faster than everybody else that they could pick the bike up and still win the race from crashing in the rain. So um, circumstances like that, it, it's definitely helpful to be able to get back on just in case. Um, but then, yeah, there's there's other times where it's you definitely shouldn't get back on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so on transition, you've talked about, you know, going over to Europe and, and coming home to, to practice and train a little bit more and improve your your areas of weakness or the things that you identified so not being like a you know very experienced on the track or at all experienced, I'd love to just know what are those things like. How do you, how do you practice? How do you train? Like what are you, is it you know entering corners or like what are the actual things that you work on to get better? So for me, um, especially when I was younger, me and my my guy Polly, we would go to uh, just local go kart track that that lets us ride NJMP, um, and we bring like my Ninja 250 or like a supermoto or something similar to the track. And, um, we kind of watch my races back after, after every race. And we watch a lot of other racing as well. And we just notice like little things like, okay, if I got past here or if somebody's making time up on me here, we need to work on that, that specifically, whether it's how I'm entering the corner or where I'm turning in, if maybe I'm turning into the corner too early. So then I'm, I'm missing the apex and I'm running off the edge of the track instead of, squaring the corner up a little bit better and, and not running off the track into the grass. Um, just little stuff like that or how long I'm holding on to the brakes. If I'm, maybe I'm slowing down too much. Um, maybe I'm not slowing down enough and I'm blowing the corner. Just a, there, there's little things like, and when I say blowing the corner or I'm slowing down too much, it's half a mile per hour yeah. th- or less even sometimes. It's like y- you can be making a very, very small mistake that transitions into a, a big, big effect by the end of a straightaway so um something as little as missing the apex by six or seven inches that that can throw you off all the way down the the next half of the track so um really a lot i work on consistency um how i use the brakes like how i go to the brakes make sure that it's smooth but aggressive um same thing with how i go to the throttle when i when i'm exiting a corner i make sure that i'm on the right part of the tire where i'm going to have grip where I can open the gas and then just smooth but aggressively go to full throttle. Um, and that, that's really what it's all about is maximizing your time at full throttle and not slowing down through the corners as much as possible. So if you can do both, then you'll be really fast. Sure. Well, and that all, everything you just touched on is very mental and strategy and cerebral. So, I mean, versus like body mechanics. And I suppose that's because you learned the body mechanics as a kid, right? right? So you know how to how to move your body on a yep. bike to make a bike do a certain thing. Yep. And now it's just actually learning so much of the how precision to, yeah. of where you want to do the things that your body already knows how to yep. do. Yeah. So when I was a lot younger, not a lot younger, but when I was like 12, 13, 14, we used to do a lot of drills and like parking lots of just doing circles around a cone. Like if I move my upper body to this position, uh, transfers this amount of weight and then the bike does this or if I lean my weight a little bit back it gets more grip on the back tire and that'll help me coming out of this corner because just because of the way that I moved my weight and, and it's getting more grip to the 
to the back tire. So there's little things like that that you that you want to learn before you really start pushing. <laughs> right. Because like you can you can get yourself into situations where you don't know what the bike's going to do or the bike could do something and you don't know how to fix it. So we worked a lot on that when I was younger. Um just in parking lots even. You can do it anywhere. You can just go to a I wouldn't suggest going to like a Walmart parking lot, but you could go to like an abandoned parking lot, set up a couple of cones and, and just sit there and work on drills for the day. Work on a uh, figure eight drill is a really good one because it gets you to, to do both right and left corners. And then you're not progressing at one corner better than the other, one side better than the other, which was a problem for me, actually. Um, I was really good at left-hand corners and not very good at right-hand corners. So It's like the Derek Zoolander of road racing. Yeah. You can only turn left. Yeah, yeah, that, that was me for a little while there. I, I, like, I was really, really good at left-hand corners, like really good. And then right-hand corners, I was so slow. And it's just... It's just like a comfort thing, really, because all your controls are on the right side, pretty much. Like your throttle, your front brake, your back brake, it's all on the right side. So when you're going into a right-hand corner, you just there's a lot going on on that side, and you're trying to hang your body off the inside of the bike, and um, it's just a, a lot going on. So that was something that I really needed to work on as, as a younger kid, and I still work on that a lot, actually, to this day, because my left-handers are still better than my rights, and it's been five years of working on it. Yeah. So, um, it takes a long time to kick a bad habit and and to make new good habits. So um, for me, that's that's what I work on a lot is just trying to keep my overall riding consistent, keep my skills sharp, and, and just keep kind of progressing and, and learning how to get a better feel with the bike and learning like – I ride a lot of different bikes for this reason specifically just so that way when I hop on a bike and I, I'm going to race, I can kind of get a good feel right away for – the bike needs me to do this to make it go faster. Well, that so then uh, I was gonna transition to that. When you're learning a new bike, I mean, you're talking some of the things um, of your training now is so mental. But if you're learning a new bike, I mean, that bike has uh, probably very different approach into a corner, right? For, versus how much you can brake, how much the throttle it's going to give. How long does it take to to get familiar with a bike? For me, um, I grew up. I had I had a track at my house when I was younger. I still still do, but I don't ride there very much because I'm hardly ever home. Um, but I used to have a track in my house, and we would have five, six different bikes, and I would go do like a 10, 15, 20-minute session on one bike and then come in and just hop on another one and go, go back and do another 10, 15, 20 minutes. So I would do that like all day, just riding different bikes back to back to back, and um, each bike takes a different style of riding to make it work. Um, and for me, I, I got good at learning what bikes want just from doing it more so um you just kind of pick up on that the more you ride different bikes and I, I like spread myself out across a lot of different bikes especially when I was younger um before I was racing in one specific series I would ride as much as I could at track days like hop on other other people's bikes share bikes with friends just I don't know why just because I, I just wanted to ride different things all the time I think a lot of people probably want to but I was lucky enough to be able to actually do it and I think that really helped me with uh, being able to figure out what a bike wants and now it takes me no time at all to I can hop on a bike and within probably 10-15 minutes I, I kind of have a good idea of what that bike wants. So I mean, like, let's get really granular. If you're if you're on bike A versus bike B, I mean, do you know that bike A you need to brake like a foot sooner than bike B, or is it more of a a speed thing? Like, what speed you're coming into the turn versus actually which bike it is? Um. So, I 
I actually I have a good, pretty good example of like the characteristic difference between um, I rode a Yamaha and a Kawasaki back to back weekends and. The Yamaha, you can flow through the corners better. It's very smooth, likes to roll through the corners, high, high mid-corner speed, and very stable, like no movement on the front end. And you can, if you wanted to, you could coast through the corner a little bit. Like you don't need to be on the brakes or the gas. You can kind of coast, which that's not the fast way to go, but like you can do it and the bike will still hold the, the line on the track. Um, the Kawasaki... When you break into a corner, the thing starts to chatter from the front end. So, like, you get some vibrations through the handlebars, and the, the bike doesn't want to turn as much. So you have to kind of figure out how to make the bike want to turn. So whether it's uh, you grab the brakes harder or you grab the brakes less or you, you take the tension out of the clutch or whatever, whatever the case may be, you kind of have to figure out how to make the bike be smooth through the corner. Um, so there's a lot of different ways you can achieve that. Yeah, well, that's interesting because you're, I mean, the, the way you're expressing it, you're verbalizing that there's so much more characteristic to every different motorcycle than even what was in my head, where, where I'm thinking things like, you know, the speed, you right. know, like, that only, but it, it does sound like every bike just has so much of its own character. Yeah, and I, I've rode um, a lot of different bikes, especially the past couple of years, and I've noticed, like, uh, with, with the different manufacturers, each manufacturer has their own little, like, something special like like i said with the yamaha it handles very good with the kawasaki it's very strong off the corners doesn't turn very good though the triumph for me i just rode it actually yesterday and the day before and that's like kind of the best of both worlds it's very smooth through the corner when you apply the gas it's very smooth um and it drives off the corner very well because the engine is like very torquey so you open the gas and the bike doesn't move around much but it it goes so um every bike every manufacturer has their own little um advantage and disadvantage and yeah. it's just kind of what your riding style will let you do on on each bike so so we we've yet to actually talk about your new ride so um the the bike that you rode the past couple of days is our new uh daytona 765 moto 2 bike which um but i mean I've, I've seen pictures of you riding it it it's pretty stock it looks like what you're practicing on yeah yeah um we just got the brand new triumph daytona moto 2 765 um it's number 279 of 765 and um yeah we basically had to like last minute we we put a bunch of stuff on it over the past week and a half trying to get it ready for the track just because we didn't want to destroy the the carbon fairings or uh anything like that and and also we wanted to get rid of the catalytic converter on the exhaust so that we could put bodywork on it and a lot of little stuff like that. And um, it was definitely a, a task to find parts for it because it's so, so new that nobody so really... So new, so custom. Yep, so yeah. it's so such a niche bike at the moment that um, there's not been a whole lot of parts available. So um, we've been sourcing parts off of uh, the older model Triumph and, and kind of finagling it onto the bike to make it fit just so that way we can uh at least get laps on it and learn learn the bike learn the engine and the chassis and stuff like uh -huh. that until more parts become available um well, uh, well funny enough I, I, i've been speculating anybody that actually buys one of these if they're ever even going to ride it hard because it's such a almost a collector's yeah, uh, yeah it's the, very the, limited the very limited edition um you know it, the only partnership with moto 2 so um 
but you've went ahead and, and, and taken this collector's piece and turned it into a race bike. Yeah, we, um, we're halfway to having it as a race bike right now. It's a very good track day bike. Um, just some small things as far as like what I would change personally for me to go racing on it. Um, but we decided that it was a good idea to put it on the track. And honestly, it's the first one that I've seen on the track, like in, in race form. That's mine's the first one that I've seen built to a quote unquote race bike. Um, I mean, it comes very good from the factory, like basically a race bike from the factory with some stuff, obviously to, to keep it road legal, but, um, we didn't change a whole lot. We changed, uh, the exhaust pipe to put, uh, the bodywork on because you, you can't have that big catalytic converter on there for the, for the fairings. Right. Um, so we actually had to custom make a pipe. We had Hindle send us out a pipe and, and we had one, uh, custom welded same day while we were building it because, uh, we, we couldn't really get anything to line up a hundred percent. So, um, we did that and then we had, um, a set of the 675 fairings and we got those all mounted up and got those painted within a day, which was insane, insanely good timing. Um, I wound up, uh, my buddy, Robbie Bobby, who was uh, Bobby Fong's mechanic when he rode for triumph, uh, a few years ago in, in the AMA championship, they had some brake lines laying around. So I was able to get rid of the ABS and, and put some some brake lines on there so that way I could slide the bike into the corners and stuff. So that was a, a big help. Um, we got some rear sets from Attack Performance uh, off the 675 that we had to, uh, we, we had to change some small stuff, like grind some stuff down to, to make it all fit, to make it all line up correctly. But um, we did that and, and that was a big help for me as well. Being a taller rider, I got the, got the foot pegs where I want them got the the shift lever and the brake lever where i wanted it and um and that's all we really did to be honest we um so we got rid of the abs the exhaust the foot pegs and the fairings and that's all we did i i rode it actually with the with the street tires on it and um pushed those things to the absolute limit sliding the back tire pushing the front tire into the corners and um i'm actually i'm, I'm doing a review on those tires for pirelli so um that'll that'll be coming out soon to my youtube and then also We'll we'll have a full uh, detailed video of of the bike and what we did to build it and and how that all went down on my YouTube channel. Um, that'll be up in probably a week or two and um, my first test as well. We filmed the whole thing, so oh perfect! Um, Can't wait to watch that. Yeah. So th that'll all be out by the time this airs uh, as well. So yep, should be yeah. Um, then uh, I'm very curious. How is this bike uh, compared to what you're actually going to race on the circuit? So from what I've been hearing from, from my team owner, we're actually racing the, uh, street triple. I'm pretty sure the, the new street triple, um, converted to a race bike. I guess there's some kind of a rule where there has to be a certain number of units produced. Oh, okay. so, um, because it's production based racing. So there has to be a certain number of units produced for us to be able to race it. And I think that the, the moto two version is just shy of what we needed Darn. actually. So, um, will be on the street triple just converted to a race bike well very comparable engine just different frame yep um yeah so then what is the um what category are you competing in uh, it'll be the super sport class so the middleweight championship um against uh, other 600s and um this year they're letting the 765 triumph in there and then they're also letting the uh ducati 959 or something in, into the class so they're kind of opening up the rules a little bit trying to generate some more interest again into the middleweight championship yeah, I, I read about that. I, so I think it'll make it a, a bit more competitive, bring some more interest, open it up to a few manufacturers. 
Yeah, it's a, definitely an exciting time, especially for me because it's it's a new bike and and they're opening the rules up a little bit, trying to trying to change it to bring more eyes back to the series, which is it's cool and I'm excited for it to to be a part of something like that where it, they're changing the rules for for the series and for the world championship. So for me, being one of the pilots on the on the bike that they're building the rules around is kind of kind of crazy. But yeah, year one. Yeah, it's Two. it's uh it's actually really cool that um the rules are kind of being made around me for for the world championship and for the british championship it's it's uh definitely special for me so well and we we sort of worked up to this point but so how did how did it all come about then uh like did you get a phone call or did get recruited how'd you end up on the team yeah um honestly i was just uh, in contact with some people from, from the British championship. And I just, I like to stay in contact with everybody and, and just, I'm, I'm friendly. I like to talk to a lot of people and just, it wound up coming up in conversation that there was a a spot available. And I was like, Hmm, I'm interested for sure. I want to hear the details. (laughs) Cool. And then, uh, yeah, it was just the rest is history. We, we started talking and, and we were both like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And, and everybody was excited on both sides. Like my, my whole family, my whole crew of people that helps me out day in, day out, they were all very excited with the opportunity. And uh, it seemed like it was the same as far as the team goes. Everybody seems very excited to have me join the team. And, and they all seem really, really nice to work with. I've been nonstop emailing everybody back and forth. And we're, we're just trying to get everything sorted out for the, for the season. Um, just as far as like testing goes and testing new parts and, and just making sure that we're organized for the season because it is a new program. And we're trying to avoid overlooking some small details. Like we want to show up and and do well from the first race. So. Yeah, you're you're going to you're in it to win it. Yep. Um, so then, so what happens next? When does the season start? When do you get over there? So next, next for me, we start testing in April in England, and then we start racing the end of April, beginning of May. So I have quite a bit of time now for me to just focus on training and and riding. Um, I'll be staying in Florida until I go over there. So we have a month and a half, two months of solid training in Florida. And uh, whenever the team has more parts available for the bike, they're they're actually going to send me some stuff over to, to test and make sure everything works and kind of start seeing what I like about the bike uh, with certain parts on it and what I don't like and kind of find our direction of, of which way we want to go with the bike when I, when I get to Europe. Um, so it's cool that we'll, we'll be able to do our own kind of testing. Yeah. Here. Well, at this, so that's interesting. Well, you're, uh, you have a teammate. Um, yep. will your bike be then unique to you versus, and, and his be a little unique to him? Yeah. So the rules in super sport, you can't actually change that much stuff. So once the bike's built, we'll have like, um, between me and him, we'll just have our own settings in the bike. So there'll be identical bikes probably more than likely identical bikes and then he'll have his his own suspension setup that he likes and i'll go in my own direction probably Uh, or who knows we could be very similar riders and we could like the same settings and and run the exact same setup i'm not sure but um usually it doesn't work out like that you never get that lucky but um he'll go his way i'll go my way with suspension settings and then uh everybody has their own like where you like your foot pegs to be at, where you like your shift lever and your brakes and stuff like that. And we just kind of dial it in as much as we can for, for each rider. So awesome. 
Well, I hope the next time you're here, you're, you actually bring a nice piece of hardware to put on the table and, uh, we will definitely welcome you back. It was great to chat with you today and, thank you. Uh, man, I can't wait to hear about how the season goes. Yeah, I'm excited. I can't thank the whole, uh, Triumph team enough, Triumph USA, Triumph UK, uh, Simon Buckmaster from PTR Racing, just everybody that's in our corner, the classic car club of Manhattan, um, Evolve GT Track Days, Luxor VIP, uh, fresh and lean for keeping me fit with all their uh, amazing foods and uh, yeah just everybody that's supporting our program it means a lot and everybody that even just following us on social media and coming along for the journey it's it's a unique journey and and it's a special opportunity for me so thanks to everybody for all the support <laughs> <laughs> thank you Good, great outro. to have you Brandon yeah <laughs> thank you <laughs> All right, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Brandon Pash from a year and a half ago. Please tune in next week just to hear all about how his career has evolved since then and what it was like to win the Daytona 200 and also what it was like to ride that prototype I mentioned in the news section, the Project Triumph TE1 prototype motorcycle. He's the one and only person in the world to have ever ridden it, and he's going to talk about it next week. So until then, ride safe.